listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. This is The Fret Files. I'm your host, Eric Daw, and with me, as always, is my lovely wife, Melissa. Hey. Hello, Melissa. Hello. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, I think that this is going to be our best show yet. We have guitar repair horror stories. (laughs) We should change the name of the show just for this one episode, like the... The the death files. The crypt files. Oh, I liked mine better. Well, the, of course you the do. The threat files. What? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Uh, thanks, everybody, for submitting horror stories. We're going to read them tonight. And we've also got a bunch of repair questions, too. So we've got a, we got a lot of material to go through, so we should just dive right in. Cool. But I do want to mention, I, I listened today to the fretboard journals new podcast and it's an interview with michael gurian and it was really cool if you haven't checked out the fretboard journals podcast it's free why why don't you listen i mean if you listen to this show you probably already listened to that one but just in case you missed that one michael gurian interview very cool should listen to it yeah what do you want to start with we've uh, so we've got I think eight or nine horror stories, and we've got eight or nine repair questions, so we can do, we can just mix them up, read one and then read the other. Let's start with a question. What do you think? Sounds good. We get we get snacks and snacks of Let's read the questions. My name is Craig, and I have a question about Tonewood. I understand you are skeptical about Tonewood making much of a difference in the overall tone of a guitar, but what about resonance? I have a question about pine as a wood for bodies. And it seems that pine is becoming more popular as a body wood. Is this just a gimmick? I'm guessing you will say yes, as you feel most things are gimmicks unless proved otherwise. (laughs) Did Fender use pine as wood for their bodies, and if so, during what period? I have recently played pine body guitared, guitars by LSL, GNL, Fender, and a Luthier out of Spokane. Although the guitars maintained a classic sound, they all had exceptional resonance, especially when played acoustically. Except the Fender Telly, it felt the same as playing an Ash or an Alder guitar. Many of the vintage Fender guitars I am attracted to have what I feel is extraordinary resonance when compared to modern production guitars. The new production pine-bodied guitars seem to be more resonant, at least more than their alder and ash-bodied counterparts. What are your thoughts? Can wood affect resonance and therefore enhance perceived tone? Thanks, Craig. Thanks for the question, Craig. Um, you know, 
it's something I've thought a lot about, and I've played plenty, and I've I've made guitars out of ash, alder, pine, and uh, it's something that you could you can kind of get lost in because if you start comparing guitars, you're going to encounter guitars that resonate more than others and guitars that have better tone than others and it's all i don't know it's it's all there's just too many variables well not only that but it's all kind of just just dancing on the head of a pin about these tiny nuances you know if you find a good resonant piece of wood uh then doesn't really matter what it's made out of. I've I've played pine guitars where I just felt like they they just didn't resonate very well at all. And I've played plenty of ash guitars that didn't resonate well at all, you know? So um guitars can be pretty radically different from one to the next and you know, the biggest variable, I know I keep going back to this, but the biggest variable is you, the player. I mean, it really you you can take uh any guitar, and depending on how you pluck the string, it's going to make more difference in tone than what kind of wood it's made out of. M- much more difference. So, I don't know. It, it, I, I feel like people did not used to be, players didn't used to be this obsessed about gear minutia. And I think it's the internet. I think that's what's happened, is that the internet has caused this obsessive, compulsive disorder among guitar players where they're going you know wow this certain pedal is this is the thing or this you have to have a guitar made out of this kind of wood or this this is the new fad or that man just find a good guitar that resonates nice and that you that fits comfortably in your hand i mean that's a big deal yeah you know find one that fits your body and fits your hand well and just Get your own tone, you know, in your own hands. It's in your hands. It's not about whether it's made out of pine or mahogany or alder or concrete, you know. (laughs) Well, concrete. You don't want a guitar made out of concrete. How do you know? But, you know, ask me on another day. You might get a different answer. Because this is all so subjective. I mean, we're talking about a subjective subcategory of a very subjective category you know what i mean this is this is really down a rabbit hole to me in my mind you know but i've like i say i mean i've i've made pine guitars and i thought that they sounded nice uh i there's just not i don't know i i don't know do what you like craig i don't have a very coherent answer to your question as you can as you can see craig but really the answer to me is find a guitar you like and don't worry don't worry so much about you know the the wood it's made out of or the i mean look at dan electro guitars masonite they're masonite man we're looking at laminate uh f- flooring to put in our living room and it's the same stuff I mean, it's mace. It's the cheap. It's one of the cheapest materials you can get, and it's on a pine or a poplar frame, depending on who you ask. And I think that they used both. But dude, those guitars sound amazing. Vintage Dan Electros sound amazing. Okay, and they're made out of masonite. They're 
they're hollow on a pine. They're 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 made out of really, you know, as far as tone woods go, they're made out of really substandard material. Hmm. But mine sound great. You know, vintage ones sound great. So anyway, I'm I'm wasting too much time on this. But thank you, Craig, so much for submitting a question. And I can't do the show unless you guys submit questions. So please keep them coming. I'm so glad that you guys do. To submit a question, if you never have, go to my website. Go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and uh, submit your question there. Or you can call, leave a voicemail, or you can text the following number, 757-774-8482. I finally have it memorized. I'm impressed. Yeah, thank you. Because you know how I am with numbers. Oh, yeah. He forgets our anniversary. I don't. That's not true. When, my birthday? No, I know your birthday. That's good. It's in July. Let's 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 have a, a guitar repair horror story. I wish that uh, we had like a crypt keeper voice to read these, but you just have my voice, so here we go. Eric, still need guitar repair horror stories? I have one. It's about a burrito bar musician hipster. From- burrito bar musician. <laughs> <laughs> It's very descriptive. What's a burrito bar? Uh, I I don't I want one. Whatever it is. Is that a bar that has burritos, or is it a? It, if it's like a like they have make, beer, but they also have burritos, or is it like? Is it, a, I think it's like a make your own burrito bar, like a burrito salad bar, bar hipster. So a hipster that works at a burrito bar. I think so. I like this story already. Okay. Uh, it's about a burrito bar musician hipster. <laughs> From back in the mid-90s, who got a hold of a very nice 60s Gretsch, like George Harrison played, the one with the fake F-holes. Hmm. But he despised the feedback he got when he would crank his Marshall stack way up and then stand in front of it. Go figure. Yeah, really. <laughs> he would bring it to into the local Atlanta music shop where I worked at, and I would set it up, clean up the dried sweat and schmutz, and try to help him with his feedback issue, and try to explain that he's simply going to have to deal with that hollow body feedback when standing in front of a cranked up Marshall stack. I helped him stuff t-shirts and foam rubber in the body, and I would ask him about how it's working when I'd go to lunch at his burrito place when he worked. He said there is still bad feedback. Then a few weeks later, he brings his Gretchen. The back and top have separated from the sides. Uh-oh. He asks if I can glue it up and also address the output jack cutting out. So I snap off the back cover and remove the plastic access panel, and all I see is this foam insulation that has filled every void and nook and cranny. It was like a dirty, soiled rice cake. Oh, my God. It was the expanding great stuff type, which comes in an aerosol can, and it had, it had expanded inside and cured with such force that it had separated the back and top from the sides. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just told him I do not know how to access the output jack since the insulation foam rice cake prevents <laughs> access to the wiring. Yeah. Then it dawned on him that maybe it wasn't such a great idea to use the expanding foam insulation. But it did stop a good bit of feedback. Well, there's that. Sadly, it was a really nice George Harrison 60s Gretsch Gretsch country gent. Hmm. 
That story comes from Brian Lilge. He's a guitar repairman in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Wow, Brian. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. You know, I know that stuff uh, expands with a lot of force because I tried to insulate a void once behind some drywall. By I thought, well, this, you know, I can just drill a couple holes and put some of that expanding foam in there and... It'll work. Boy, that that doesn't really work that well. Don't do that. Yeah, it kind of blows your <laughs> it, drywall right out. It blew the drywall out. It buckled the drywall. I mean, that's a lot of force, man. It blew this guitar apart. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, that just makes me sick. Because even if you got in there to kind of try to clean it, I mean, yeah. first of all, that's a daunting task to try to do that because it it entombed all the wiring and everything, you know? Couch. Oh jeez. What a sh- what a shame. Uh you know I've got some of my own horror stories I'm going to intersperse Ooh, in okay. with some of these and uh this first one I I'll tell you is and I didn't write these down I'm just going to off the cuff improv here but it wasn't that long ago uh, a customer that I've known for years and he's kind of a grumpy old curmudgeon right and I I, I tell the story time. because I I guarantee you he's not listening because he he's I I doubt he even has a computer oh, okay. I, he's I think he's living in like men's shelters off and on or wow. I don't even I don't know what the I don't know but he's just kind of a old curmudgeon who uh, and I don't mean to disparage him I actually like the guy I really like him because he's just kind of a grumpy old likable like you in a, yeah. In a likable way. But uh, the first time he sat down to play a guitar and I watched him play, he's like a killer jazz guitarist, you know? But he's like this grumpy old guy, like, you know, he's giving you a hard time, but you know that he's doing it because he likes you. Like, is my guitar done or are you on drugs? You know? <laughs> you know, like that kind of a guy. Anyway, I hadn't seen him for years and years, and he was old when when I met him 10 years ago, and... Well, he comes in again, and this time he's got uh, he's got a little Epiphone arch top that he wants me to set up, and so so he checks it in, and I didn't, you know, he read me the serial number. I didn't really look at it too too close, and uh, uh, it, you know, I have usually about a week turnaround in my shop there, so I uh, the guitar case sat there, and and I didn't really think about it much till it came time to do the guitar. And uh, when it came time to do the guitar, I, you know, grabbed the repair slip and, okay, set up Epiphone Archtop for, we'll call him James. Names have been changed. His, I've changed his name uh, for James, you know, so I, I put the guitar case up on the, uh, up on the table there where I put, where I put guitar cases and pop the latches, flip it open. And about twenty cockroaches just scatter, <laughs> and they and they just they're like they like inside the f holes and behind the headstock and and around the pit guard, you know. And I just slam the case shut, like, oh no, oh no, that is not good. This is not good. Nope, nope, no, I can't work on this guitar, you know. I I couldn't. 
<laughs> you can't do it. You can't do it. I, I, uh, it broke my heart. So what did you do? Well, I did not open the case again. Oh, okay. And, uh, I, uh, I think that when he, I think he came to pick it up and I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I'm, but, uh, the, that's the story. I don't even want to go farther into it. Okay. Other than, other than to say, if you, if you're a customer at my shop, I guarantee you there's no cockroaches in there. <laughs> it's an old, old building and we have a, uh, 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 a pest control guy come in every month just cause it's an old building and all those in that neighborhood, they all do. And we don't have a pest problem because we've been on a maintenance program with this guy for a long, long, long time. He comes in once a month and looks for stuff. And if he finds anything, he takes care of it. And just as I had closed the case, the pest control guy walks in. <gasps> I mean, literally like right then. And I told him what just happened and he goes, Oh my gosh, you know, that is insane. So, uh, I left early for the day and he sprayed my shop. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember so I'm not that. worried about bugs, but it Yeah, that's a that's, that's a, shock. a horror story, man. Definitely. I get guitars with blood and I get oh, I can't work on them. Man, if your guitar is just filthy or if your case is full of cockroaches, <laughs> don't 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 bring it to me. That's my story. Oh, man, I don't even like telling that because I just I feel bad kind of I don't know. Anyway, that's my horror story. <laughs> Let's do another repair question. All right. I have a question regarding pick guards for Stratocasters. I was contemplating changing out my standard white pick guard to my reissue Stratocaster and replacing with replacing it with a gold anodized pick guard. I have read online that these pick guards can often affect the tone of the guitar. Is this true? With this in mind, are the pickups of a Stratocaster essentially floating? And if pick guards do affect the tone of the guitar, what are your what are your thoughts on timber pick guards for strats? For example, would a spruce pick guard give a woody archtop acoustic tone? Enjoying the podcast and congrats on the baby news. Cheers, Dion Melder from Melbourne, Australia. Right on, Dion. Thanks for the question, man. I uh If you had asked me this question years ago, I would have just laughed and said no. There's no those pit guards don't affect the tone at all. No pit guards affect the tone on a strat, especially. Don't even think about it. It's not going to change your tone. But? But those anodized pit guards, and I did not know this until uh, a couple years ago, but they they do affect the tone. In what way and why? Well, it's funny because they're they're aluminum. They're anodized aluminum, so they... They're not a ferrous metal, right? So they shouldn't really uh, affect the way the pickups work at all. But for some reason, because it's metal, they do affect the tone. And s somehow, you know, Alnico uh, is the magnet that's in a pickup, which is a, has a lot of aluminum in it. Right. The Al in Alnico is aluminum. Uh, and for some reason, the, that metal pit guard, uh, it, it, um, it changes the magnetic properties of the, the field that's going on with the strings and the pickup and how they all correlate. And it 
darkens the tone a little bit. Noticeably? N- noticeably. Like, uh, I made I made two identical Strat-style guitars. I wound the pickups. They were the same, same magnets, same turns of, of wire around the pickups, you know. Uh, one had a vinyl plastic white pickguard, and one had the gold anodized aluminum pickguard. And the uh, the one with the metal pickguard was significantly darker in tone. Huh. I mean, less bright. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and so I did a little research on it and read about it, and there's a guy that makes really high-quality repro uh, anodized aluminum pickguards. I think his name is Tone Guard. Uh, anyway, he has a, a website, and he goes into that. Um, you can read more about it at, at his website. I think it's Tone Guard Pickguards. Look him up. You can read more about it. But, yeah, I, I never would have thought a pickguard on a Strat would change the tone. Now, is it just specifically Strats because the, the, the pickups are they're mounted to the pickguard, right? Well, I suppose it would affect a Telecaster as well if you if you use the anodized aluminum. But only the anodized aluminum makes a difference. So... If you're using a wood pickguard or a plastic pickguard or, you know, something else that doesn't have any ferrous properties at all, then... And you're probably good. It doesn't it doesn't affect the tone at all, but... Huh. Yeah, yeah. Did he have a follow-up question? Mm. <laughs> For instance, would a spruce pickguard give a woody tone? No. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Interesting question, though, and and something I hadn't thought about for a while. Thanks, thanks for submitting that one. Yeah, yeah and the the answer surprised me, considering your answer to the previous question. Yeah, well, some things really do make a difference. Well, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Dion. How about another horror story? All right, <clears throat> Eric. This story is more of a grim realization than a horror story. I often hear people asking you questions about which pickups to install on their guitars. At one point, I owned about 20 electric guitars, and some of them were less expensive import versions of their American-made counterparts. I used to think I could hot-rod these guitars with cool pickups. They never ended up sounding or playing as good as the real thing. Then I started doing it to my better American-made guitars. I spent hundreds of dollars on pickups. Mm -hmm. Until one day... I was playing one of my Gibson American SG standards. I had not played for a while. For some reason, it sounded so good. I was blown away and thinking, why does this one sound so good? Then I came to the grim realization that it was the only guitar I owned that I hadn't messed with. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It was 100% stock and unmolested. It finally occurred to me that a lot of R&D went into designing this guitar and its components by people a lot smarter than I. Now, I'm going to interject there for just a second. Maybe mm-hmm. not smarter, but just more experienced with guitars. Sure. I mean, I know this guy. He's He's... I think he's a smart guy. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I got rid of all my less expensive imports and put all my better quality guitars back to stock. Lesson learned, I'm going to love them the way they are. On the bright mm. side, I did learn a lot about installing pickups. Anyway, that's my story. Love the show, man. I hope you, Melissa, Isaac, and the baby to be named later are doing well. Zach. Right on. That's from my buddy, Zach. Zach's a cool guy. Yeah, that's... uh. Yeah, it's a common thing. I think, 
you know, you I, I, one of my favorite guitars, I've got a Telecaster-style guitar that I just love. And I had it dialed in, man. Oh, it was just right, just exactly right. And then your brain starts thinking, yeah, but I can make it better. I'm going to try these other pickups. Or I'm going to wind myself up even better pickup or something. You just got to leave well enough alone. If you're happy with the way your guitar sounds, don't let the internet influence you about you need to swap out all the pickups on everything you own. So did you ever get your guitar back into the dialed-in spot you liked? Yeah, I mean, I was so happy with the way it sounded, and I thought, oh, I'm going to make it even better. And you just can't. Hmm. You Once it's good... It's good. It's good. Why mess with it? Don't fix what's not broken. There you go. Cool. Thanks for the horror story, Zach. And another question. Here we go. Hey, Eric, another question for the podcast. Is it true that you can get lower action with a thicker string gauge? What are your thoughts on the Line 6 Variax modeling guitar? Hate it or love it? Thanks a million. Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Right on. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, is it true you can get lower action with a thicker string gauge? Yeah, it kind of is because a thicker string tuned to the same pitch is tighter and therefore vibrates uh, in a tighter uh, pattern. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it so a looser string is going to be floppier and go up and down more. Right. The tighter the string, the less it moves. Um, so in that sense, yeah, you can, I really think, absolutely get a lower action with a thicker string gauge. But we're talking about tiny, tiny differences. Hmm. Yeah. And any benefit, uh, playability-wise, is offset slightly by the fact that the strings are now heavier and harder to press down, right? Yeah, that so makes sense. you just have to find what's comfortable for you and what what you like. What about the uh, Line 6 Variax modeling guitar? He says, what are your thoughts on the Variax modeling guitar? Hate it or love it? Well, neither, really. I mean, I wouldn't, personally, I would not own one um, because it's... Uh, I just don't use effects, and I don't use all the, you know, all the modeling stuff. Just isn't my thing. But it's a pretty impressive piece of technology. Do you know what that is, I Melissa? Have no so idea. it's a guitar that just looks like kind of your average, you know, Korean little guitar. But it's got a knob on it that says, uh, I don't remember what it says. I don't think it says Strat Tele three thirty five. Oh, but so it's like a it, synth guitar. Yeah, it's a synth guitar. I think it uses other words because those are copyrighted right. things but there's like an acoustic sound and a dobro sound and a strat sound and a 335 sound and a telly sound well, and a les paul sound are they authentic sounding well you know i mean they're they're passable okay. they, they don't sound great but you know it sounds as good as a battery powered korean <laughs> synth modeling <laughs> guitar how, you know how you'd expect it to sound it's like oh that sounds kind of like a dobro okay you know so here's where that would be a really handy thing imagine if you're in some kind of a band or some kind of a production 
where you're the only guitar player and you have to get 10 different sounds. I know a lot of players like that who, you know, they have legit, real, nice guitars and good guitars, but, um, you know, they've got this one gig where they're playing guitar uh, in a Broadway production or something, and they have to get, even in the course of one song, they're doing, you know, three radically different sounds. They have got an acoustic part and a and a part where they need a, a screaming Les Paul sound. So uh, it has its place. Hmm. It's a very convenient way to get synthetic very variable you know variable sounds it has its place it's not for me but it it absolutely has its place and it's and it's you know you think about it it's pretty impressive uh piece of technology cool absolutely should we do a, another horror story yeah can i read one yeah sure why not this is from brian coates in denver colorado he says I'm a guitar repairman in Denver. Here are some bits for your Halloween horror stories file. The dad repairs that come in. Um, my dad fixed this, but I don't think it's quite right. Like loose neck joints or bridges secured with Gorilla Glue. And a classical guitar that had a horizontal crack in its neck heel that had been repaired by shooting a deck screw in from the bottom. They hadn't been able to close the crack, however, so the screw just served to keep everything exactly in place. <laughs> then there was the customer who sold us a big pile of gear, each piece of which had his name written on it in a magic marker, including at least one vintage Martin D18 with his name on the front. The pigment had soaked into the lacquer a bit and took no small amount of buffing to get cleaned up. I still don't think we got it all out for fear of taking off the finish. Ouch. I know. I've seen that a lot. And lastly, the horror story averted. An elderly gentleman came and talked to me about installing a Roland synth pickup on his guitar, and I told him, no problem. When he returned with his guitar that he wanted this done to, it turned out to be his 1967 Jazzmaster that he bought new. Once my jaw got off the floor, I informed him that I'd prefer not to drill holes in that guitar, and we found him a $99 Squire to put the synth pickup in instead. Keep up the great podcast work. Brian Coates, veteran repairman and minor league builder in Denver, Colorado. Good save there, Brian. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, thanks for submitting a story, man. That's awesome. You want another uh, horror want, story yes. from me? Yes, I do. You know, I I like little Gibson acoustics. The little bodied ones, like LG2s especially old ones from the 40s, 50s. And uh, I, I used to work with a guy named Richard who had worked previously in a violin repair shop. And he was always telling me stories about these uh, violin repair guys that he'd worked with. And um, one day we were talking about Gibson acoustics and he said, well, I've got an old one that, those guys tried to repair, the guys from the violin shop tried to repair, but uh, it needs some work. They didn't finish it. I said, oh, well, I'll, you know, I fix guitars, you know, I'll finish it, sell it to me. So he brought it in, 
This is 10 years ago. And uh, opens the case, and it's literally in like 20, 30 pieces. I mean, part, there's there's parts of it that are just splinters, you know. It looked like somebody kicked in the sides with some steel toe boots, like just the sides. One whole side was just smashed completely in. The bridge is off. It has five cracks in the top. And the real arrow through the brain is that someone started to do a neck reset on the guitar, Uh-oh. but had no idea or concept of how to do that with a guitar. They had just taken like a, like a coping saw and just started sawing off the neck flush with the body. <laughs> and they did. They sawed it completely off, you know? Ouch. Yeah, absolutely. So the dovetail was still in the block. And the neck is just... It's loosey-goosey. Off. Just sawed in half. I just about cried. Oh, my gosh, you know. It, yeah, I guess it can be fixed, but... And he said, well... He said, you know, I've... He, apparently, he'd had it for 30 years. He said, I've been carrying this thing around for 30 years. Every time I move, you know, I stuff it in a different closet. He goes, uh, I'll give it to you for 20 bucks, you know. So I bought it. And I still have it. And I still haven't started on it. I've had it for probably 10 years. Uh, every time I look at it, I think, okay, this is going to be my summer project. I'll work on it, you know, a half hour here, an hour there. Every time I look at it, I just, oh, my gosh, it's such a train wreck. So you basically have to glue an entire guitar together? Oh, it's just a... It, well, you know what I've thought is uh, if I could find another 50s Gibson LG2 that's smashed in, but maybe has the back smashed in, or, you know, the neck is okay. Uh, maybe I could make could... one guitar out of two smashed in Gibsons, or I'm what I'm going to have to do eventually is just replace that entire side. I'm going to have to bend the side, replace the side. I'm going to have to figure out something to do with the neck. Ugh, it's just a mess. Is it is it worth it? I mean, I know that's the thing. It doesn't sound like it's it worth it. It does it. It really doesn't. It sounds like we might as well burn it in our fireplace. Well, I've thought about uh, you know if you put the word project in an eBay listing, <laughs> people are like, oh, I need a project. People love that. It goes. They go for a lot of money. So I might just sell it on eBay one of these days with really detailed pictures. Like, are you a luthier? Do you need a project? Well, do I have the guitar for you? <laughs> it really could be fixed, and I really would like to fix it someday, but maybe when I'm retired, I actually have, you know, guitars stacked up that people are ready to pay me for, so uh, I don't see myself getting to that guitar anytime soon. Well. Sadly. How about another question? Okay. Fan of the show, thanks to you and Melissa for sharing the love. I'm putting my home workshop together and was curious, which are your go-to tools for a routine fret level and dress? Specifically interested in your preferred choice of files. Hmm. Art Watson, a.k.a. the Turtle Cove Brewer from Archer, Florida. Right on. That's a cool uh The Turtle AKA, Cove though. Brewer. You think he brews beer? He must. And he lives in Turtle Cove? No, he lives know. in Archer, Florida. I don't know. 
I don't know what the Turtle Cove Brewer means exactly, but I like it. It's mysterious. Thanks for the question, Art. Uh, my go-to tools for fret work, for fret leveling. I've got, um, they're all mostly from Stuart McDonald. Uh, I've got two or three uh, milling files, you know, long uh, files with handles mounted to the back where you can you can file the frets. And those, I think, one is from Brown Guitar Factory and one's from Stuart McDonald. And then I've got one of those big metal beams that uh, that you get from Stumac, and then you can put um, you can put adhesive backed sandpaper on it to do the entire neck. Uh, and I use that a lot. And then for crowning files, gosh, I probably have ten of them. Uh, my favorite is a diamond. It's, you know, coated with industrial diamonds, just fine little diamond dust that instead of instead of metal teeth, it has diamonds that cut. Right. And I got that from Stuart McDonald. It's got a, uh, I think I bought the medium grit industrial diamond uh, fret crowning file from them. And it's probably my favorite. I love it. I also have a Gurian that has, um, the thing I like about it is that it's got the file part, and then it kind of goosenecks up to a handle so that the handle is clear from the body when you're working on an acoustic and you're and you're 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 um, doing those frets up on the tongue. Uh, the handle is clear of the body, and it makes it much easier to work with. Uh, and that file, the file part is removable, and it has three different sizes you can put in there. Oh, cool. That's a handy little file. I think I got that from all parts. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then I've got a bunch of the old fashioned tools that I got from a guy in Idaho that um they're just the old fashioned fret crowning files that I don't I don't even know if they make them anymore. They're just a real basic metal crowning file. But they do the job? Oh, they do a great job. I love them. Oh. Yeah, all in different, um, you know, frets are all different sizes and shapes, and so, right. not shapes, really. Hopefully they're round. Uh, but, so, you kind of need different size fret crowning files. Narrow, wide, medium. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the question, Turtle Cove Brewer. The, the Turtle Cove Brewer. Should we do uh, another horror story here? Yes. Uh, you want me to read this one? Yeah, where were we at? We're here. on the second one here on the second page. Oh, great. Yeah. Hi, Eric. As always, thanks again for the great job you guys do on the podcast. Love the great interaction between you and your wife. Really makes the show that much more entertaining. Thanks. I have a horror story of sorts to share. Not sure if this fully qualifies, but here goes. When I was a kid, around 1999 or so, I found a great 79 Les Paul standard in a shop for a great price, and it felt and played very well, so I bought it. About a month later, I took it in for a setup because it wasn't playing right. 
the re repair guy called me later to tell me that the neck was actually twisting due to some weird imperfection in the wood and that the only thing to do would be to try and see if they could heat it up to get it back in line. Mm -hmm. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I loved the guitar, so I said, sure, especially since the store said it would cover the repair since it was within their 30-day time frame. The next week, I went in to check on it and was told by the store manager that the repair would be too much, and I was given store <laughs> credit and never saw the guitar again, oh. even though I offered to pay in full for the repair myself. I never knew where the guitar went, and I ended up buying some other crappy guitar, but that Les Paul's always haunted me. I wish I could find it again someday. Oh. It's probably in the dump somewhere. The one that got away. Yeah. Anyway, not much of a story, but I guess there you go. Thanks again for all your hard work. Best wishes, Kurt from Seattle. Man, imagine if he'd never taken it in. You know, know. he'd still have it. He just brought it in for a setup. He never <laughs> got his guitar back. I mean, I guess they gave him his money back. Well, but store credit is yeah. all. Oh, that's kind of that is a that's kind of shifty, man. Yeah. I wonder if they found out that it was worth more than well, he I, paid for it. I wonder if they broke it. Well, yeah. They might have broke the headstock off or something. God knows what happened. Yeah. That's a shame, Kurt. Uh, thanks for the story. Uh, let's take a break, and uh, we shall be right back after this lovely message from our sponsor. This is Jay Boone, owner of Emerald City Guitars in downtown Seattle, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers, not only on the West Coast, but around the world. As we embark on our 20th year of business down here in Pioneer Square, we are striving to continue to bring you great service and great products. We're remodeling our whole store this year, and it's going to be amazing. We're also redoing our website, emeraldcityguitars.com, for our online customers around the world. We'd like to give a big shout-out of appreciation for all your patronage over all the years down here at Emerald City Guitars, and we really strive to continue to bring the best that we can to our customers. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com or visit our shop at 83 South Washington Street in downtown Seattle. Our business line is 206-382-0231, and we're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Remember, Emerald City Guitars, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers and service and repair. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm loving these uh, guitar repair horror stories. I think we've got some really good ones coming They're cool. If, I, if we keep doing this podcast, we should do this every year because yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, for sure. You know, speaking of horror stories, uh, we took a little mini vacation here. Actually, it was a pretty big vacation last month. We were gone for two weeks. And I took my laptop, which is your old laptop. Right. From like 2007. Yeah, and when I say old, I mean... Literally. It's... I think it's older than that. You got it in 2007, right, but, it, but was it was refurbished. refurbished. I think it was a couple of years old then, so it's probably a 10-year-old laptop, and I mean, it's fine. It worked, you know, barely, but that was the laptop that I did the show on. It had everything on there, the theme music, the commercials, the all the bumper music that I use, all the, you know, like the the clip I play in... Uh, in front of the letters where letters, we get letters. Right. Anyway, it had everything on it, right? It was the podcast. Well, wouldn't you know it, that 
it got dropped or something while we were uh, on vacation there and uh, wouldn't turn on anymore. Yeah. It bricked. So we I think had, that's the technical term is it, it bricked. Yeah. We almost had to scrap the whole podcast. We didn't have a way to do it. Well, I just thought I was going to have to start over and, you know, make all the sound clips again and God knows how to do it. I, uh, uh, what a nightmare. Anyway, my buddy Greg, who's also a listener to the show, I got to give a big shout out to Greg. Dude, thank you so much. He took my old laptop, got the information off of it somehow, put it on this other laptop so that uh, uh, the information's there. And now we can do the show. And he just went way above and beyond what he needed to do. And uh, I just... So this podcast is dedicated to you, Greg. Greg, thank you. I, I need to bring you a bottle of wine or something. I owe you big time, buddy. Let's get back to the questions, shall All we? All right. Hi, guys. First, thank you and Melissa for the show. It's great to have another excellent guitar podcast to listen to when I'm working on guitars late into the night. I started setting up my own guitars about 15 years ago and slowly gained skills over time while doing repairs for friends and bandmates. In 2011, I started a side business repairing guitars and hope to someday turn it into my primary job. I'm currently working... I'm currently a librarian from from Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Cool. That's a pretty good gig, though. Yeah. Uh, one repair I've yet to tackle is a neck reset. I have a few old acoustics, a couple 50 Silver Tone K guitars, and a couple recent entry-level Yamahas that I've picked up to learn resets on, but I'm trying to gather as much information as possible before jumping in. Do you have any resources you'd recommend for someone to do about to do their first neck reset? Any techniques or tools that you specifically recommend? Hmm. Thanks, Jesse, Old Town Guitars, Georgetown, Texas. Right on, down in Texas. Thanks for the question, Jesse, and good luck uh, turning your uh, side business into a primary job. That's very cool. Uh, neck resets, yeah, man. Well, it's definitely more <clears throat> of a major surgery type of a repair and um the first thing i should tell you because you mentioned you've got a couple 50s silver tone and k guitars and a couple entry-level yamahas to learn resets on those yamahas aren't going to work as far as i know and as far as i've ever been able to glean from any other knowledgeable repair guy those yamahas are not made to come apart. They um, they don't have a traditional dovetail joint that where you can remove the neck, reshape it, and then put it back on. I think that they're doweled on. So it's not possible to do a, a neck it's reset. It's probably possible, but first of first of all, if you're if you're tr if you're doing it to learn how to reset a dovetail joint, like in the sense that. You're starting on cheap guitars so that you can eventually one day you're going to do Gibsons and Martins. It doesn't make any sense to do a Yamaha because it's not even close to the same neck joint. That makes sense. And they're really not worth the time and effort. I don't know anybody that will do a neck reset on a Yamaha. I'm sure there are guys that will, 
I'm sure there's guys out there somewhere that have dedicated uh, time to figure that out. But I think pretty much any pro repair shop you take in and you take in an old Yamaha to have the neck reset. And unfortunately they all, they almost all need neck resets, but, uh, pretty much every, uh, pro repair shop is going to turn that job down because they're just not made to come apart. Now the K's and the harmonies. Yeah. Silver tone K harmony. Those are dovetail. They're hide glue, you know, generally speaking, uh, unless you've got a Japanese one, make sure it's a USA made one. Um, and, uh, the process for resetting the neck on an old Harmony is really this about the same as what it would be for an old Martin. So that's a great way to learn Cool. on pretty cheap guitars. Um, the process of doing it, you know, I'm not going to go into it a lot because I mean, I could probably do a whole show on it. There's a lot to talk about, about a neck reset, but it's hard to describe without visuals or without having somebody right here next to you and you're showing them how to do it. So trying to just describe it in podcast form is kind of difficult, but the process involves, um, and you probably already know this, Jesse, but uh, heating up the tongue and then loosening up the glue with a spatula, a seam separation spatula. And uh, once you've got the tongue separated from the top, you want to remove the fret that's directly above the gap beneath the dovetail joint. So on a 12-fret acoustic guitar, it's, that's the 14th fret. On a 14-fret acoustic guitar, it's the 16th fret. Uh, and by that I mean four, you know, 14 frets clear of the body then two more frets is going to be right into the dovetail joint gap. And you drill, what I do is I drill two holes in that fret slot, tiny little holes. And then with an old espresso machine that I've rigged up to use the steam from, and some surgical tubing, and a basketball uh, inflation needle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That goes into the hole. You turn on the steam. The hole, the steam goes in one hole and out the other that you drilled. And that steam gets hot enough to make that hide glue uh, liquid again. Or gel, you know. Yeah. And you just have to slowly work that neck off. And boy, patience is the key there. It takes quite a while to do that. It's not gonna. It's not something that's just gonna pop right off. Well, sometimes they will. Sometimes the glue has failed. Oh, that's convenient. And you can just about take the neck off without steaming it at all. But that's usually not the case. You have to steam it, and you have to steam it for a while. Now the trouble there is that um, you're steaming wood, and you can damage it. You can swell the wood. You can damage the finish you know the steam will put like a white haze in the lacquer it can damage the finish it can it can damage 
other glue joints that are there close to where you're working. So it's it's it really takes some finesse. How did you learn to do your first neck uh, raise? Same thing, same thing Jesse's talking error. about. I started on cheap harmonies. Because you've done some pretty high-end guitars, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I do Martins and Gibsons. and uh, I don't like to do neck resets. And I usually... Well, it's not that I don't like to do them, I, but... Just takes a long time. It's... I, I'm busy enough in my shop that I usually refer them to. I kind of have a neck reset guy that does most of them, but, mm. um, and he's a guy that I want to interview on one of the next podcasts. Cool. He's a great guy, Mark Tossman, here in Seattle. Uh, anyway, I end up still doing quite a few neck resets. But it depends on the guitar. You got to know what you're getting into. So don't dive into a Yamaha or something like that. And if you, I've I've run into <clears throat> guys that are trying to learn that take a, a more recent Martin or something and start trying to steam the neck off without knowing that it's got a bolt. <laughs> uh, so you got to know, you got to know what the neck joint is before you start. So research this. Specific you gotta make guitar. sure. Oh yeah, you gotta make sure you know. But um, really, to get some real detailed information about it, I would recommend um, I, uh, if you if you uh, open up your Stuart McDonald catalog to one of the back pages there. I think Dan Erlewine has a DVD just about neck resets. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's got great information in there. That's probably. What I would recommend doing is is picking up something like that, a tutorial on neck resets, and absorb that information first before you start one, and then start on the junkiest old harmony you can find. Good luck, Jesse. Yeah, man. Thanks for the question. How about All another right. horror story? A solid wood harmony arch top came in that had a copper pipe wedged and taped to the end block and heel block. <laughs> as well as various duct tape over cracks. The tone pipe has since been removed. The tone pipe. <laughs> it's like an, an organ. <laughs> uh, there was an old Brazilian Rosewood Martin that came in with a stove bolt through the neck at the 14th fret, oh. which was hidden by a pearl button off a western shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the bolt was removed and placed in the garbage prior to the neck reset. The button was salvaged and replaced. It was just too funny and reeked so much mojo. That's awesome. Uh, that one comes to us from Jordan Anderson from Illinois, and his website is mckeeguitars.com, M-C-K-E-E-guitars.com. Wow. Oh, that's good. The tone pipe. I like the, the mojo the, button. The pearl button off a Western shirt. That's Man, hilarious. that is some creative thinking there, huh? I, I really hope that it was off center, you know, like, or, you know, <laughs> just random on the side. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, I'm feeling like uh, skipping over my guitar horror stories. We'll just, we'll just go through. Oh, come on. One more. Really? Yeah, one more. I know you, I know you have good ones. This is just a silly one, uh, but a while ago, uh, a customer came in and uh, he was having problems with his Telecaster jack cup. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? There's like yeah. a recessed little cup that sits in the bottom edge of the guitar that holds the jack. And uh, they're kind of notorious for coming loose. It's kind of a two-piece, well, three-piece, really, system. You've got the jack cup, the jack, and then on the inside, there's a little retainer clip that kind of folds out as you tighten the jack, and it's supposed to kind of dig into the sides of the of the hole and keep everything in place. Well, especially on an ash guitar, which is really soft and porous wood. It's not that soft, but it's just kind of porous wood that it it just doesn't really hold up to jamming the cable in and out of the guitar a million times. So they come loose. They're kind of notorious for coming loose. And one of my favorite fixes for that is something called an electro socket jack cup, where instead of the cup and the retainer, it's threaded. So you screw the jack onto the threaded jack cup, put the assembly in the hole, and then two screws, pickguard screws, go kind of at an angle into the wood, through the jack cup, and into the wood. Really a slick way to do it. Not something you want to do on a vintage instrument, probably, because you're drilling some holes in there, but it's not a big deal. It's out of, you know... Uh, yeah, it's not like you're like drilling a hole in the face or something. But right. anyway, a guy came in, and I was telling him about the electro socket jack. Here's the solution. This is a great solution for your squire or whatever he had. And I said, to do this, what you need to do, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, when you take off your existing jack cup, there's a clip inside the guitar that's kind of the other half of that jack cup. And you need to take that clip out and then you can install this, right? So I told him that he came back the next week and said, well, I did everything you told me, but um, now I'm not getting any sound. Well, that's interesting. You know, let's take a look. So I took the jack out, and the little elbow that holds the cable tip in place uh -huh. and makes the connection with the positive, makes the hot connection with the with the with the uh, jack, uh -huh. was gone. Like, well, your jack is broken. That whole thing is gone. And he said, well, you told me to take that part off. <laughs> I said, no, no. No, the other the clip that's inside your guitar, that, not the jack. You don't want to break the clip off the jack. You don't want to break the... That's part of the jack. You need that. Anyway, that's, a pretty, that's why I was going to skip it. It's oh, kind of a lame story. Sorry. Not much of a horror story. Just a silly story that made me laugh. Yeah. Well, I know you have good ones. I fixed I fixed the jack for free for him because oh. I felt bad. Because yeah. you're a good guy. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, all right. Are we on a question again? I think so. Yes. All right. Great podcast. As a novice guitar tech, my question relates to your last episode, episode 16, where you talked about being able to refret a maple neck without having to refinish the fingerboard. Could you please elaborate on that for your listeners? What is your step-by-step -step process to minimize any pullouts or chips in the finish? And if you do experience a chip, what do you have in your bag of tricks to fix it for your client without resorting to hitting the board with a fresh coat of lacquer? Play on, Scott, from Chicago, Illinois. He says, P.S. Hi, Melissa. 
with a smiley face. Hi, Scott. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it's really not that different from refreighting uh, an, an ebony or a rosewood fingerboard, except that you're dealing with the paint. And when they make those, usually they fret the neck and then they paint it. So the frets are kind of encased in lacquer coming up the sides there. So what you have to do, what I do, is I take an X-Acto knife and I carefully cut every fret. I score where the fret meets the paint so that um, it won't chip when you pull it out. It won't chip the paint. It won't chip the wood. And the way, to, after you've scored it, and you have to score it pretty good, you know, and you have to get kind of serious, and you really have to be careful, because if you stray at all, you can really scratch up the the fingerboard. So it's kind of delicate. And sometimes the lacquer is really built up on one side, you know, like they sprayed the neck and then hung it. And so the, the lacquer kind of... Drifted. Drifts up and makes a little slope up on one side of the fret. Boy, especially on vintage fenders, and they have such tiny frets anyway. You know, tiny little fret encased in lacquer with one side <clears throat> really uh, with a lot of lacquer buildup. They get tricky, so you have to cut through all that. Then, just like any other refret, um, I take a little bit of water and put it on the fret, and then with the soldering iron that I have that's solely for refrets, uh, I heat up the fret with the water until it's all steamy. And that does a few things. It kind of uh, 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 gets some steam down there in the fret slot and loosens it up, and it releases some of the wood's natural oils and breaks any glue bond that might be there if the fret was glued in at all. And uh, then you're able to go in there with fret pullers, these little tiny nippers that pull frets, and pull it out. Wow. Yeah, it's the same process as anything else. And if you do it right, and if you're really patient, you won't get any chips. There are There is another way to do it. And some people claim that the way to do it is to take the frets out sideways. Well, and don't they have barbs? Wouldn't that you barb can, the... You can do it. It does sometimes uh, as the barbs go out the side, yeah. But uh, the reason you want to do that on a vintage fender is because that's how the frets were installed. Oh. Yeah, on vintage fenders. they they And I didn't believe this until I saw a picture of the machine. It just seems so insane. But um, on up until like the early 80s, any fender, they had this machine that would install the fret through the side. Very weird. That's That seems so counterintuitive. Yeah, it, yeah, doesn't it? Um, and people say, never, never, never pull the fret out from the top because it never went in that way and it'll chip the fingerboard all to heck. Well, I've done a million of them and I'm here to tell you if you do it right, it won't chip out. So say you accidentally got a chip. What mm -hmm. What now? What do you do? Uh, you very delicately and very, very patiently put the chip exactly back where it was with superglue. 
Wow. And can you do that so it looks seamless? Mm-hmm. Wow. But if you're careful, you won't need to. Thanks for the question, yeah. uh, Scott. Scott. Scott, thank Scott. you, sir. Absolutely. How about another horror story? All right, this one's a long one. Oh, good. <clears throat> I've been doing repairs for a long, long time now. Some things I've had help with learning, while others I've developed on my own system that feels that I feel works best along the way. I take great pride in the repair work that I do and strive to make it more than perfect. A special bond is made between a musician and their instrument, and memories are made. In a way, your instrument becomes like your child. I owned a 1992 Gibson Les Paul for years, the same year that I was born, that I sold, tracked back down, and purchased again. I actually used this when I jam with a friend every week who passed shortly after I sold it, so it was something special to me. The the person I purchased it back from had sanded it down the most of the way, which sucked, but it was okay with me. It was still my axe. I dropped it off with a friend at a well-known music store, who is supposed to be one of the best techs around. He owed me some money and claimed to have everything to add one strip of binding on just the body. So I agreed. Although I could do it, I figured it would save time. My mistake. He removed the fingerboard to take the neck off, which is a no-no. In doing that, the fingerboard wasn't heated properly, and the neck was ruined, then toothpicked together with gobs of glue, leaving leaving tons of gaps when the fingerboard was reapplied. Crooked, I might add. Then the fingerboard was sanded flat, and in the process, some chunks were ripped out and re-glued. The back of the neck was also cracked in the clamping process because it appeared that they tried to sand the mangled neck flat before attempting to glue the fingerboard back. So the truss rod was pushed too hard into the neck. Then they dodged me for about three months. I bet. And hoped I'd just forget about it. Yeah, totally. Why did they do all this stuff that he that they didn't even need to? I, yeah, they just had to do binding on the guitar. Why? What are they on they meth? Take, why would they take the neck off in the first place? Oh my gosh. Uh, and if they were honest, I might not retell the story because I, at least I could respect the honesty. So anyway, because I didn't do this job myself, a very sentimentally valuable guitar to me has been destroyed. And this is his plead to you, listeners. Please, people, do not go to the big box store for your repair work. I'll be more than happy to do the job right for you. There were many points along the way where this could have been saved, but it appears that no care was given. I couldn't live with myself if anything happened to someone's guitar while it was in my care. I'd replace the guitar and beg forgiveness to start with. I think I'd hate myself, though. I don't want to sound arrogant by any means, but this is why customers come back and trust me. Please save yourselves this kind of misery and come to me or a reliable luthier. And if it's something I'm not comfortable doing, I have no problem saying so and referring somebody else for the job. (laughs) Uh, This comes from Josh Bruno at Bruno's Stringed Instruments Sales and Repairs, Perth, New York. Right on, Josh. Oh, that's that's a heartbreaker. That's miserable. Yeah. I agree with your last paragraph, though, man. you got to take your work to a reliable luthier. Somebody who has had some experience. Somebody who knows what they're doing. Man, that's... Ay, ay, ay. That sucks. Sorry to hear it, man. Another question. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Huge fan of the show. I'm currently building a four-string bass, and I'm contemplating headstock angles and scarf joints. 
It'll be a quarter sawn maple neck, and I'm thinking that a headstock angle of around 14 degrees would work nicely, but which version of the scarf joint of a scarf joint should I use? I can glue the headstock underneath the neck or onto the end of the neck, if that makes sense, and I'm wondering if one is stronger? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, and keep up the great work. James from Liverpool, England. Cool. Thanks, James. Uh... Well, I'll be honest with you. I've never built a neck using a scarf joint headstock. Um, I'm more of a fender guy where they're all, you know, solid necks. Uh, but uh, I've heard a lot about um, the two different methods, and it a lot of it depends on whether or not you're going to put a veneer over the headstock, and I'm I'm assuming that you're going to, but the veneer, if if you put, um, if you do a scarf joint where the uh, the joint is visible midway through the headstock, you know, and then you overlay a veneer over it, that's supposed to strengthen it quite a bit. But the other way, where the whole headstock is a solid piece of wood. Um, the other way, uh, you get a, uh, a pretty good reinforcement from your fingerboard. So, uh, and w- from what I've learned from it and what I've read about it, it appears that both are pretty stable, you know, and that one is not necessarily better than the other, but uh, I'm probably not the guy to ask. You know, I'll be honest with you on that one. But thanks so much for the question. Cool. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful handmade made to order guitar strap from yours truly do you take custom orders i do they're beautiful you have to see them melcoleather.com right right uh as i make guitars you know we share a shop in the backyard there as i'm making guitars she's sitting in the other corner making straps and i see her make these straps she's so meticulous and so gifted and thanks you're such a craftsman Craftswoman? You're such a crafty person. You're so crafty. <laughs> uh, really high quality leather, handmade leather guitar straps. Check them out. Melcoleather.com. You want me to read one? Yeah, sure. I feel like you're, uh, you're doing all the heavy lifting yeah. here. 
Here's my story. A couple years ago, I noticed a new guitar shop in my neighborhood. So I brought a guitar in for a setup. It wasn't my favorite guitar, but I wanted to give them some business and check out their work. I only take my favorite guitars to you, Eric. Oh, this is from... This is from a local Seattleite. I see. About two weeks later, I got a call that it was ready for pickup. The guy laughed and said, Yeah, wow, it's been done for a while, but I totally lost your number and your ticket. (laughs) I came down to the shop and found the tech banging around on some other person's guitar. When he saw me, his leg bumped a couple of guitars in cases onto the floor. He wiped snot from his nose. He had a cold, and he pulled out my guitar. When I examined my guitar, I noticed that the binding on the neck had all these abrasions and scuff marks on it where he had filed some of the frets. It was so sloppy. I called him on it, and at first he said he didn't see it. When I put the guitar in front of him and had him take a closer look, he admitted, yes, he saw the dings and scratches, but he said it had to be done to fix the guitar. He then started claiming that in all his years of repairing guitars, he had never received one complaint. I tried to be reasonable with him and calm him down, but he started yelling at me, saying that he wasn't going to cut me a break just because I was a teacher. I never asked for a break. I paid my bill and left. I never set foot in that shop again, nor do I recommend it to anyone. I sold the guitar. It just had too much bad energy for me. I recently saw a for lease sign on the shop. When I visit your workspace... I appreciate how tidy it is, and I appreciate the care I see you take with every single guitar. You love to work on guitars as much as I love to play them, and that's why I choose you to work on my guitars. Aww. From Susan Palmer. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it so much. Susan is uh, the guitar instructor at Seattle University. And she's an author, too, isn't she? Uh, Yes, she's the author of the Guitar Lesson Companion Method Book Series. She also teaches private lessons in Seattle and worldwide via the Internet. The Internet? That's right. Wow. Uh, You know, over Skype or FaceTime or whatever. Right, yeah. She gives guitar lessons worldwide. I think she does a really, she does a lot of business with that. Cool. But check out her website. It's leadcatpress.com. L-E-A-D-C-A-T-P-R-E-S-S. Leadcatpress.com. She, uh... She's She's got, I think, edition one and edition two of the Guitar Lesson Companion, which a lot of teachers use. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Susan's great. Susan, thank you so much for submitting a, a horror story, and you're just so nice. It's <laughs> saying, talking up my work. I'm humbled. I feel like this, I mean, it's definitely a guitar horror story, but it's more of a service horror story. Like, Yeah, totally. What, I mean, what kind of an a-hole? I know. Can open right. up a business and then be prepared to treat his customers that way. You know, I hear this kind of thing so often, you just wouldn't believe it. And here's the thing about guitar repair guys. If you say that you're going to be a dentist, right? Right. Well, you have to go to school and get accredited for that. And you have to be, you know, you get a diploma and you can't practice that without a without a license. You know, you have to be a bona fide dentist. Any moron can hang a sign in a window that says guitar repair. They don't necessarily know how to repair a guitar. (laughs) Just because they know how to make a sign that says guitar repair does not necessarily mean that they can fix your guitar. It's, It's unfortunate, but it really is 
a profession that's full of, I don't want to say full. I just want to say that there are people out there that, that, uh, that do bad work. It's just true. Do your research, people. Yeah, just take your... This is a recurring theme, isn't it? Yeah. Take your guitar to a reputable luthier. All right, the question. Hi, Eric. Oh, wait, I already did the one. Sorry, everybody. Uh, let's go to the next one. Here we go. Hi, I use my volume knob as my only effect in my setup. Is there a way to modify my volume, modify my volume knob so it doesn't turn all the way off at zero? I would like to be able to take it down to the lowest point I like without having to guess if I got it right. What could be done to accomplish this? Benji. Hmm. Absolutely. And uh, the way to do that... on So, um, on the volume pot, on the potentiometer, there are three lugs. I'm, you know, assuming that this is what you've got. And uh, one of those lugs is going to be um, soldered to the housing of the pot. So it's grounded. And if you want to make your volume pot so that it doesn't turn all the way off, but it just gets quieter at zero, then you want to disconnect that from ground. And instead of grounding it, you want to re- uh, put a uh, resistor in there from that from that lug that was grounded instead of grounding it you want to put a resistor from the lug to ground and uh i'm you know you you'll you'll have to experiment with it i haven't done it uh so i'm not sure what value you would want to use but if i had to hazard a guess i would say probably about a 10k ohm resistor maybe 15 maybe 20 but depending on how hot your pickups are, and what value of volume pot you've got. You know, there's 250K, 500K, 1 meg ohm. Uh, and depending on how quiet you want it to be at zero, you might have to experiment. Buy a few, buy a 5K ohm, buy a 10K. I mean, resistors are cheap. Buy a 15, buy a 20K ohm. It might even be higher than that. I don't know. And uh, use some alligator clips. And test it out before you solder it in. Mm. Yeah. But that's how you do that. Cool. Did that Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Right on. I think we got one more horror story. Yes, we do. Uh, Dave from Tritone Guitars in St. Louis submitted the following description along with some pictures, which we will post on the Fret Files Facebook page. Yeah, this, this description, um, you really have to see the pictures, and I'm going to put them on the Facebook page, which is just, I think, Facebook slash... Fret Files, or Fret Files Podcast. If you just search for Fret Files Podcast on the old Google, you'll find it. Cool. Dave says... Click like while you're there, by the way. (laughs) Here is one that came in for repair. Apparently the guitar was hit by a car, according to the previous owner who sold it to the current owner. The current owner told me it isn't really that bad, but he (laughs) would like it fixed. It's bad. It's so bad. I decline the job. You can never use too much hot glue and tongue depressors. Have you seen the picture? I have. It's like cobbled together with hot glue, and there's literally a pop popsicle sticks, you know, a tongue depressor, just glued to the guitar. Like well, isn't it two different guitars glued together? Yeah, and it's, yes, right. 
it's like they had cut the bottom bout off of one acoustic guitar and hot glued it to another acoustic guitar using tongue depressors and hot glue. That sounds like the way I would repair it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bring your guitar repairs to me, guys. Oh, man. I'm also sending some pictures of a Les Paul headstock repair that had drywall screws and Bondo on it. That's always good. I actually couldn't get it apart and ended up hitting with hitting it with a mallet out of frustration. It broke right on the original brake line. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's from Dave at tritone-guitars.com. Tritone Guitars in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Tritone-guitars.com. Oh my gosh, you guys, thank you so much for submitting questions and horror stories. This was a really fun one. I know, it was awesome. If you have any more cool stories, I mean, that you want us to share. Yeah, I've been asking for horror stories for like six months, and we got eight of them. That's pretty good. I mean, you know, I don't think I'm going to get a lot more, but it's something we'll do next year for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out at fretfiles.com, my website, ericdaw.com. I make guitars, pinupcustomguitars.com. I make uh, leather guitar straps. That's she does. My melcoleather.com. She makes the most beautiful hand-tooled leather guitar straps. You, thanks. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, thanks to Emerald City Guitars. Thanks to Greg Lester, my buddy, for hooking me up with uh, some computer help big time we really appreciate it greg and thanks for listening submit a question go to ericdaw.com click the contact link submit your question there or you can call 757-774-8482 that number once again is 757-774-8482 leave a voicemail you can text that number too and uh Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month.